You're listening to CRST, the podcast from Bryn Mawr Communications. Hello, and welcome to this episode of International Perspectives on Chronic Ocular Surface Pain. I'm your host, Anaka Lore. On this series, clinicians from around the world are going to comment on some of the under-discussed aspects of chronic ocular surface pain that are sometimes glossed over. For our final episode of this mini-series, we'll examine the clinical journey of a patient with chronic ocular surface pain, or COSP for short. This is the final episode of our first season of this mini-series, and if you like what you've heard in this episode, go back and listen to the first two episodes, which can be found earlier in your podcast feed. First, let's introduce our panelists. Dr. Clara Chan practices at the University of Toronto. Dr. Chan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Sherry Rowan, who practices at Envision Eye Centers in Newport Beach, California. Uh, Dr. Rowan, I hope I said that correctly. And if I didn't, please correct me. But either way, Dr. Rowan, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you did a great job, Anat. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. This episode is going to be a little different than our first two. In this episode, we're going to hear from a patient who we'll call Isabel. We've changed her name for privacy purposes. Isabel spoke with our producer, who clipped a few segments of her interview for us to listen and respond to. Isabel is a 38-year-old woman who lives in Mexico City. She's been living with some degree of ocular surface pain for 18 years. When she first saw an eye care provider in her early 20s, a blephritis regimen and course of topical corticosteroids resolved her condition. She returned for this treatment approximately every three years until it stopped working. Let's hear from Isabel. Since this doctor could not help me this time, I went to many eye doctors. I live in Mexico City. One eye doctor I remember told me that this was going to have something I have to live with the rest of my life and there's no cure. And it really scared me because the symptoms I was feeling were causing me a lot of anxiety because I could not live my normal life. I couldn't be in the wind. I couldn't do many things that I used to do. Uh, I I remember I was in my closet crying all day because I could not stand feeling my eyes. Isabel went to seven or eight eye doctors and her experience was frustrating. Some told me I was crazy, that my eye didn't actually look that dry and the feelings I was feeling were were just anxiety and that I would be fine in a few months uh, to just stay calm. And like, they really did not take me seriously. Let's talk about our approach to patients with chronic ocular surface pain. Oftentimes, by the time they reach our clinics, they're frustrated and have been unable to find relief. So thank you, Dr. Chan and Dr. Rowan for being here. And I love the fact that we all practice in different parts of the country and the world. And to me, this seems like a pretty typical presentation. So I want to ask you, how do patients present to you? Is this something that you often hear as well, people who haven't been taken seriously? Dr. Chan, maybe you can start with your experience in Canada. Sure. Thank you. Uh, We certainly get these patients coming in who are very frustrated. They already know sort of all the dry eye treatments that are out there because they've tried every single one of them. And they're left feeling that their symptoms aren't validated oftentimes. And so one of the first things that when we see them, we want to just reassure them that, you know, they're not crazy. These are their symptoms and they're feeling that. And one of the ways that I kind of make it more scientific for them is we can put 
anesthetic eye drops in their eyes. And I tell them these are numbing drops. You know, if there was something on the cornea that was perhaps a cause for the pain that you're having, if it's numbed properly and the nerve endings are sufficiently numb, you shouldn't feel it. And the test is if we put the numbing drops in and they're still able to replicate the same symptoms and, and support sort of what they've been feeling, it does help to validate that, you know, this is sort of a scientific way that we've confirmed um, that they're having this chronic ocular surface pain disease. Um, and just kind of listening to them and just letting them almost vent. Uh, you kind of feel like an ophthalmologist and a psychologist at the same time a little bit with these patients when you first meet them, uh, just to make them feel comfortable so that they can trust you with your suggestion. That's great. Dr. Rowan, what about California? How do these patients present to you? You know, it's interesting. I think those of us who treat ocular surface disease see this on a daily basis, unfortunately. Uh, the patients that come in to me, uh, it's usually a typical uh, presentation after seeing seven doctors or more, and they are constantly trying to find this relief. And I think those of us who are working with these patients have realized that this is truly a neurologic problem now. And that's where we are trying to come up with some solutions. It's neurologic, either peripheral or centrally. And that's a point of discussion that probably would have to be talked about here. But we always hear this uh, no pain, no stain, pain, no stain, or, or stain, no pain. You know, there's all of these presentations, unfortunately, for patients, and we, we are trying to find the causes of why they are having this horrendous problem and this discomfort. So, yes, we are all in this together, and these patients typically present just like this, unfortunately, all the time. So Dr. Chan, what causes your light bulb to kind of spark up and say, hey, I think I'm dealing with someone with neuropathic pain. What do you look for on exam or history that helps you figure out what to tell the patient? Right. So sometimes there is sort of an, an actual incident, whether it was a recurrent erosion syndrome that triggered it, or they had prior surgery, whether it was cataract surgery or refractive surgery. Sometimes it's just a patient who's had a lot of dry eye problems and blepharitis and sort of tips them over into this chronic pain phase of things. Um, so there's, there's various triggers that you, know, you can actually ask the patient about and pinpoint, uh, but then you've just got patients who are referred in and and their referring doctor has already, you know, worked them up for, for, and, and treated their dry eye and blepharitis. And um, these patients who just really, they're, they're much more symptomatic than you would expect when you examine them on slit lamp exam. Um, you know, like that whole, uh, there's no stain, but there's pain. Uh, the other thing that is important, I think, is that we always should check with vital dye staining because we do know that uh, you know, Rose Bengal or Lissamine Green will highlight conjunctival staining prior to fluorescein staining of the cornea. So perhaps this patient does indeed have dry eye issues and it's just too early for them to, you know, show signs on the cornea. So you do always want to rule out dry eye and still optimize that element of things and treat any inflammation that's there. Um, so at least 
you know, if patients who have not potentially been treated yet like that, at least that's one first step to be made. Um, Because a lot of times these patients come in and they've almost given up on everything and you kind of have to restart the clock back to time zero and take baby steps, reintroducing them to sort of all the elements that will hopefully help. So Dr. Rowan, let's say this is pain without sting. It's the real deal. Where do you start? Well, as Dr. Chan just mentioned, that uh, important to do an anesthetic test, first of all, to see how they respond. Does that pain go away or not? And I think that that's one, air, one way to uh, be able to diagnose that. Um, secondly, now let's, you know, when, when you think about DUES 2, the neuropathic component of ocular surface disease has finally been included. We are realizing that there is a neuropathic problem, a neuropathy of sorts. It's a neuropathic problem. And because of this, it's, it's a difficult thing to know what you can use to be able to make this patient more comfortable. We are looking at different, uh, you know, different compounds that could actually help the, the nerve endings themselves. There are some things on the market already that we can use and there are things being tested, but these are really difficult patients if it is truly neuropathic to be able to uh, isolate it, diagnose it and, and treat. We do know in all of these, in many of these instances, there's inflammation, there's evaporation, there's so many multiple components. So at this point, unless you have other um, medications at your disposal, the most important thing is to really comprehensively treat this with anti-inflammatories, with uh, potentially nerve growth factors, with uh, other components of the tear film that would be, you know, maybe amniotic uh, tissue, anything that could support getting the tear film back to some level of homeostasis. Great conversation, everyone. After the break, we'll hear from Isabel, who luckily eventually found relief. Welcome back to the show. Let's return to Isabel. She finally found some relief when a clinician in Mexico City advised that she start a regimen of amitriptyline. But a few months after she started taking amitriptyline, she found out she was pregnant. She halted the medication, underwent severe ocular discomfort during an otherwise uneventful pregnancy, and immediately resumed amitriptyline therapy after birth. Started with amitriptyline uh, with uh, 25 milligrams a, a, a night. And after a few uh, weeks, I started feeling a little bit better, but not very good. My anxiety was through the roof. I also combined with my hormones of, of the pregnancy, etc. So they, uh, my eye doctor told me go and see a psychiatrist because you also need to combine amitriptyline with a medicine that helps with your anxiety. So I went to see a, a neuropsychiatrist because other psychiatrists I saw, I also went through several psychiatrists because 
They thought I was crazy. They did not understand what eye pain was because they have never heard about it. And finally, I found a neuropsychiatrist, uh, which is like a neurologist psychiatrist. So they understand what pain is. Um, and he gave me Cymbalta, 60, 60 milligrams. I think it's milligrams, but 60 uh, a day combined with the amitriptyline. Then Isabel's eye doctor moved to Canada and she had to resume a search for a new doctor. After appointments with four or five different clinicians, all of whom reported that her cornea would not stain, but offered little in the way of a solution, Isabel finally found someone in the United States whose approach offered relief. I had a great rapport with her also because she really understood what I was going through and that made me feel calmer. So I went up to Miami to see her and she said the same thing. I mean, your cornea does not stain at all. What I have is conjunctivotalasis, um, which is the conjunctiva uh, that, that folds a little bit. And I have it on and off. It's not always there. I have it only when I have inflammation. And when I don't have inflammation and when I actually feel good, I don't have the conjunctivotalasis. So the only thing of my eye that stains is the... Um, here in the, on the side when, when, it, when I have the conjunctiva chalasis. Surgery was ruled out given the transitory nature of her conjunctival chalasis. This clinician offered an additional medication with impressive results. With my mix of amitriptyline, Cymbalta, she gave me Lyrica. I think in the States it's Pergabalin. And that the day after taking the Lyrica, I did not feel my eyes at all. And I told my husband, oh my God, what is this miracle that I do not feel my eyes? Some days are better than others, but after nearly a year of treatment, Isabel has, re has reported longer stretches of relief. Before it was every single day feeling bad 24-7, and then it was one day yes, one day bad, and then it was four days okay, and then four days bad, and now it's been like two weeks okay, and then a few days bad. So I've had ups and downs, but my life, I have my life back already. I mean, I go on vacation, I go outside with my kids. The other day I was at the beach and I was at the boat and the wind does not affect me at all. I think this opens us up for a useful discussion about how to approach patients with chronic ocular surface pain. In this case, a diagnosis of conjunctivocholasis and a course of pain medication led to success. I wonder what this case might say about future patients we might encounter with similar issues. Dr. Chan, what have you found to be most useful? I think you made some great points that most of our patients both have nociceptive and neuropathic components and they both need to be treated. What do you specifically focus on when treating neuropathic pain? Is it something you treat yourself? Do you treat with another specialty? Yeah, so definitely when the patients come in, I, I try to advise them that this is a complex disease and I can, from the ophthalmic side, try to at least optimize things from a local basis. But then once they need also, you know, further expertise from either a pain specialist and psychiatrist likely, um, then I can explain to them that, you know, you're going to need a few people to help you because it's not my area that I'm able to. Uh, so from the ocular side of things, certainly ruling out any mechanical cause for their symptoms, um, any sort of, you know, actual corneal pathology as well. Um, I think the case with Isabel really nicely illustrated how 
likely she has obviously the neuropathic pain, but with the addition of the conjunctival cholesis issue, uh, with that being managed, like it can definitely help reduce symptoms. I've certainly seen patients where they also have the neuropathic pain, but then they have really bad demodex blepharitis, for example, or they have really bad rosacea blepharitis, uh, or they also have recurrent corneal erosions. And so, you know, you, you, you want to be able to actually identify the things that we are able to treat from an ophthalmic special specialty. Um, but then these patients have to understand that it's, it goes beyond that. And so with that, they do need um, the assistance of other uh, experts um, who are able to comfortably prescribe the, um, you know, an, um, anti-anxiety medications, uh, the neuropathic pain drugs, things like that. I'm, I don't feel comfortable prescribing those aspects of things. I have referred patients to uh, like we have marijuana, medical marijuana clinics. And so that's one avenue uh, that um, for patients who kind of don't want that label of needing to see a shrink, for example, uh, that's sort of one step before um, they're willing to go to a medical marijuana clinic to see if that helps. Uh, but from an ocular side, certainly like, you know, you can prescribe and I'm comfortable prescribing all the dry eye therapies and then all the nutritional supplements. Uh, you know, you have your serum tears, your platelet-rich plasma, or your um, uh, platelets rich in growth factors even, we have that available, uh, amniotic membrane. Um, and for a few patients who, um, you know, they're, they're willing to try, uh, gabapentin is something that I've prescribed as well, but that's sort of the only oral drug that, uh, that I'm comfortable with. Um, but certainly like these patients need a good discussion about how from the eye side we can help, but they certainly need additional care from um, the, the, the folks who are more comfortable with the, the neurologic treatments. I think you raised some really great points. One of the things I'm most excited about is we're thinking about chronic ocular surface pain more holistically and not just assuming it's an ocular surface issue, but also not just assuming it's a nerve issue. And I do think that in most patients, it's both. And whether we feel comfortable treating the neuropathic component, doing a great exam to find those nociceptive contributors, and we're really good at treating those, and then becoming maybe more familiar with the neuropathic treatments or finding partnerships that we like. And I think it's just that recognition that pain can have multiple contributors, I think is really the first step to uh, doing a better job uh, treating our patients. Dr. Rowan, do you agree, disagree? What do you find in California? Well, I totally agree with this. I think that, first of all, the relief of a patient feeling that a doctor has understood what they're saying and has listened and possibly identified the problem is probably going to work wonders, not that it's going to be curative, but that anxiety of no one being able to help them for one thing can be alleviated. So understanding and recognizing that even though you don't see anything, either on fluorescein, lysamine, or rose bengal, because we use all of those as well, always do, I always do fluorescein and lysamine on every single person. And you find a lot of information on vital stains, vital dye stains. But if you don't see that, most doctors just say, I don't see anything. And then the patient feels abandoned. So first of all, we have to recognize that we cannot abandon these patients, that they really have a real problem. It is neuropathic. And we have to work with other specialists, as Dr. Chan said. I, I have used the gabapentin 
as well. Uh, but anything, any psychotropic, any other drop, a drug, uh, I'm not comfortable. It's not my area of expertise, so they would have to see someone else. But usually, uh, you know, we can get them some help. I have actually, interestingly enough, um, used some scleral lenses in these cases uh, with solutions underneath them. And that seems to have just at least the, the nerve endings superficially, it's, it's helped a little bit where they were uh, covered enough so that those poor nerves weren't crying out in pain. But again, what people don't understand is that there's central and peripheral components of this. And I think as we do more science and as we do more research, we will understand those two separate parts of the problem and then be able to help patients with better treatments. I think that was a great discussion. And Dr. Rowan, I love your point. The bottom line is we can't abandon patients no matter whether they have stain or they don't have stain. And I think that that is a real take home point along with thinking about both the ocular surface and nerves. And, you know, we can't always see nerves, but we have to think about it when we approach a patient with chronic ocular surface pain. So I want to thank Dr. Chan and Dr. Rowan for coming on the show and want to thank the listeners for joining us too on this three episode journey.